Now I want to start off first by saying this. It's a sad fact that sometimes the place that we show the least love is in our homes. I think we would agree that. Sometimes we often are harder on ourselves, our spouses, our kids, than we are perfect strangers. We're often more, uh, we're often ungracious to our families more than strangers. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. You can be in an all-out, knock-down, drag-out argument, yelling at the top of your lungs, then the phone rings and you go, hello? I mean, what just happened with something like that? You, you, can, you and I can control our spirits with strangers, but we have a hard time controlling ourselves with family members. I, I'm not proud of the fact, but sometimes I say the most hurtful things to those who are the closest to me. Does that bother you when you do that? I mean, it bothers me. Maybe you can identify with this verse that David said, Psalms 101. Lord, I want to live a blameless life, but how I need your help, Lord, especially on, in my own home where I long to act as I should. Now, you may be sitting here on Mother's Day thinking, you know, I'm a pretty loving guy, okay, or a pretty loving person. I mean, I'm, I'm just filled full of love. Okay, it is Mother's Day and we have those feelings. So let's take a quiz. When someone in your family gets some, <clears throat> some detail wrong while telling a story, do I, A, interrupt them and correct them publicly, or B, say nothing and let it go, knowing I've done the same? Now, I want you to write down your answers, and no cheating, because God is watching, okay? <laughs> now, let's admit it here. More than likely, it's B, isn't it? Second question. When, my, when someone in... Your family keeps making the same mistake over and over again. Do I, A, become irritated and angry at them, or B, graciously forgive them and pray for them? I see the humility starting to rise right now, okay? Probably two for two here. Number three, when someone in your family is getting more attention than you think they deserve, do you, A, feel resentful and feel the need to bring them down a notch, or B, celebrate with them. Now don't lie, you're in church. Fourth, when your spouse or your sibling or your family member says or does something that you don't understand, do you, A, assume they have the best motivation for doing it, or B, question their motivation or think the worst? Now remember, you don't even know your own motives, let alone theirs, okay? Then the last question, am I more polite with strangers or my own family? Now, as I'm looking over the congregation, I can see that you're getting ready for this message, right? Because you're probably sitting there, yeah, you know what, I could probably brush up on a little of this stuff called love. Today, we're going to take a look at mercy. Because mercy is nothing more than this. It is love in action. It is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. It is a behavior. It is a choice. It is a decision that you make. You choose to show mercy. There is a chapter in the Bible that really is about mercy. 
Love in action out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul gives 15 characteristics of this attribute. He talks about real love, not phony love, not the kind of love that you and I hear on the radio. I love you. Give me your body or I'll take it. That's not real love, okay? That's phony love. That's uh, that's lust. Lust always wants to get, but love is willing to wait to give. If it's true love, it will possess these 15 character qualities. And if you're not doing them in your relationship, then you're really not loving that person. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, Paul says. Love is kind, love does not envy, love is not boastful or proud. Love is not rude, love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable or easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, love rejoices with the truth. Love is always supportive, love always trusts. Love is always hopeful, love always perseveres and never gives up. Love never fails, it never ends. 15 qualities. Now, I wanted to create a 15-point outline this morning. So I came to my wife, and I said, Cheryl, what should I do about Mother's Day message? And she looked at me and said, be short. We all want to go to lunch, okay? (laughs) A very wise woman, okay? So what we're going to do is just look at four aspects, and then we're going to talk to these four moms. So let's get started. The first one is this, by overlooking irritations, and offenses, by overlooking them, ignoring them, by not paying attention to irritations and offenses. Now you're gonna be offended and irritated as you go through life. Everybody has bad days. Nobody has a perfect day every day. And lots of marriages and families are buried with lots of digs and irritations and offenses. And yet the Bible says, Love is not irritable or easily angered. Will you circle that phrase, easily angered? Real love doesn't get angered easily. Now, anger, by far, is the most misunderstood emotion. It is the most mismanaged emotion. A lot of people don't understand that anger isn't always a sin. Sometimes anger is the most appropriate response. There are some things that you and I ought to get angry about because God gets angry at them. And because God does, we should. Meaning that there is a good type of anger and there is a bad type of anger. There is a righteous type of anger and there is an unrighteous type of anger. There is a selfish type of anger and there is a selfless type of anger. When you see racial profiling, folks, you and I ought to get angry at that. When you hear of women who are being used, you should get angry angry at that. When you hear of child abuse, you should get angry at that. When you hear of someone's head being chopped off, and I don't care what religion they come from, folks, you and I ought to get angry at that. If we don't get angry at some things in life, I would say this, that you're probably not human because there are some things that are worth getting angry about. Anger is a God-given capacity, but it's gotta be controlled you got to use it wisely. Managed anger is an asset. Unmanaged anger is a liability. The problem is is that there are a lot of people who mismanage anger. And they do it in one of two ways. They either blow up or they clam up. 
They, they're either a mute or they're a manic. They're, they're either a turtle or they're a skunk. And I have found in 40 years of ministry that opposites attract to one another. You probably married, if you're a, a, a mute, you probably married a manic. If you are a skunk, you probably married you know, a turtle. But opposites just seem to attract. But understand this, that neither approach is right. And neither is more sinful than the other. The Bible says mismanaged anger creates problems in our life. So the, what's the antidote? It's to show love. It's show mercy, love in action. Now, like I said, love does not, isn't a feeling. But when you and I act, it creates feelings. And the more you feel of God's love in your life, the more you're going to be able to express God's love and mercy towards others. Love is not irritable or easily angered. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them separates even close friends. Proverbs 19, 11, first part, it is to your glory to overlook an offense. Will you circle that word offense? Folks, it's to your credit to overlook an offense. Why is that? Because it shows your maturity. People who get easily offended at everything are immature. But people who overlook an irritation are emotionally mature. So if you're getting your feelings hurt over everything, guess what I would say to you privately? Grow up. You just need to grow up. When I'm getting a little heated under the collar, I always like to just pause and ask myself three questions. Why am I getting angry over this? What is it that I'm really wanting and how can I get, how can I get something from this situation? And what I have discovered is that when I blow up or I can't clam up, I never achieve what I'm really wanting to get. Love is not easily angered. Here's a verse, 1 Thess 5, 15. Be careful, and careful that when you get on each other's nerves, don't you like that? You don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. How do you do that? Just by pausing and asking yourself some questions. The second attribute of mercy, love in action, is kindness. By being kind when they don't deserve it, but they need it. Now, in every family, there are VDP people. And when I say family, folks, I'm talking all in the family, right? I'm talking about in-laws and outlaws. I'm talking about moms and dads. I'm talking about husband and wife. I'm kids, aunts and uncles. I'm talking about all the family. And in every family, there is a VDP person, which stands for a very draining person. And whatever you do right now, don't look at them, okay? And if you don't know who they are, guess what? You're it. <laughs> they're demanding. They're immature. They're aggressive. They're difficult. They're relationally abusive. They're boundary busters. They're manipulative, okay? How do you deal with a VDP person? Paul says you gotta show mercy. You gotta show them love in action. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is always supportive. Are you always supportive of people whether they deserve it or not. Pastor George, how can I be this? How can I be more patient? How can I be more kind? How can I be more supportive? Let me give you one simple way. Proverbs 19.11, the last part of it says, a, a man's wisdom gives him patience. 
You see, if you want to be more patient with VDP people, you got to understand what makes them tick. You got to understand their hurts. You got to understand their fears. When you and I understand their hurts, when we understand their, their, their fears, when we understand their chemistry and their, and their uh, connections and their, their, their circumstances and their consciousness and the choices they've made in life, folks, it's going to help you and I to be more patient and to cut some slack for them. Now, this is true for our kids as well, is it not? The more we can understand who they are, the more patient we'll be because the Bible says a man's wisdom gives him patience. Take a look at Proverbs 3.27. Whenever you are able, do good to people who need help. Will you circle the word need? Notice that it doesn't say do good to people who deserve it. It doesn't say that, does it? Folks, there are a lot of people in our families that don't deserve our kindness. But you and I have to give them what they need, not what they deserve. And if you think about it, God's done that for us, hasn't he? he this may shock you, but God doesn't give you what you deserve. I like what Rob shared about his story. <laughs> it's righteousness, both ways, vertical and horizontal, okay? God doesn't give you and I, uh, God doesn't give you and I what we deserve. He gives us what we need, and that's called mercy. That is love in action. And when you begin to show that kind of mercy, you show kindness. Let's say this. Let let me just share a story out out of my life a little bit. My wife works in the home. She works about 10 hours a week. She's a nurse uh, uh, case manager, okay? So she's, she's at home 10 hours, and that's it. And so I'm the one that kind of works outside the house, and I, I, I go out and I work. I'm in the church, and some days I have rough days. Some days I have rough days, and I come home, and I treat her in a way that I'm not really proud of, okay? And Cheryl, when that happens, and if you know Cheryl, she is just level. She just looks at me and says, George, look at me. When she says that, I know I'm in trouble. She'll say this, George, I'm not the enemy. wow, I'm sorry. You see, what do you do when you are treated in an unkind way? You treat them back with kindness. Picture the Good Samaritan story. That Good Samaritan's traveling down the road on his Camelac. He sees this guy bleeding to death. He pulls over and he comes up to him and he says, do you deserve my help? Was this your fault? Are you responsible in any way with what just happened here? Folks, he didn't do that. He just came to him and he showed him mercy. You may not realize this, but the Bible gives us literally hundreds of benefits for being kind. Let me just share with you a few of them. One is this, that God has been kind to you. We could just stop right there. The other, there's other ones. It's an act of worship. Do you realize that? When I see two couples that are kind of rubbing one another kind of the wrong way and yet they're treating each other with kindness, I says, you know what? God's getting glory out of this thing. And really it's gonna be for their good because one of the benefits of kindness is happiness. And another benefit is you become more attractive. Proverbs 19 verse 22 says, kindness makes a person attractive. So guess what? You can forget the Botox, you don't need it. You just need to be nice to people and you'll look as sexy as I am, right? Okay? 
The other one is kindness makes other people want to be kind to you. And the kinder you are to other people, guess what? God will up his quotient of kindness that he'll express to you. But Pastor George, what about those family members that are VDP who never have shown me any kind of kindness? Kind of like, I don't know, Mary, Mary and Edith of Downton Abbey. They were always at one another, right? What do you do? Well, Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, don't be hateful to people just because they are hateful to you. Rather, be good to each other and to everyone else. Bible's pretty clear that kindness leads to repentance. It helps turn people around. Now, guys, I want to talk to you just for a moment. If you haven't gotten your, your kid's mother a gift yet, we're going to pray and I'll have everybody close their eyes and you can get up and go to CVS right now, okay? <laughs> just kidding. But I'm not kidding about this. The best gift that you can give your kid's mother is to get healthy. It's to get in shape. 97% of dads give no thought or attention to their health. Whereas 50%, really over 50% of women seek to keep fit through diet and exercise on a regular basis. The best gift that you can give the, your kid's mother is to be healthy is to get into shape so that they're not around on earth 20 years without you. The third thing, by letting go of past hurts. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you do that? Do you keep mental records of every wrong of your spouse, of your family, of your kids, of the in-laws, the outlaws, the aunts and uncles? The Bible says don't do that. But Pastor George, they did this and they did that to me. I'm sorry that they did this and they did that to you. But the Bible says don't keep a record of the hurts, the offenses, the wounds, so that you can use them as ammunition in the future. Don't do that. A lot of times when people in relationships get upset with one another, they don't go hysterical, they go historical. You know what I'm talking about? Hello, they get listed, they all the things that have ever done. God says, don't do that. So will you write this down? Don't repeat it, delete it. Don't repeat it, delete it. And what I mean by that are three things. You can write these down. Don't rehearse it. Don't rehearse it in your mind again and again and again because it only gets larger. Secondly, don't resent it. Don't hold it over them. And thirdly, don't repeat it. That's called gossip. Let it go. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 5 again. Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. Will you circle two words, rude and grudges, and draw a line between the two? Isn't it interesting that those two words, rudeness and holding grudges, is in the same sentence? Why is that? It's because rude people are simply reacting to past hurts. They're holding on to hurts. And if they're reacting to past hurts, they can't relate to that person in the present. And they sure in the world can't respond to them in the future. They are in, they are stuck in the past. And their past hurts are holding them hostage. The fourth way to show mercy. 
Love in action is by believing God is working in the lives of others. You must believe that God is working in the life of your spouse, of your kids, of your family, even when you don't see it. Faith being one of the big three that's lasting, faith, hope, and love. Faith is connected to mercy. Faith is connected to love. Faith is connected to grace. Faith is connected to hope. That's why it's one of the top three. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love always trusts. Love is always hopeful. And love always perseveres through whatever comes. How do you know that you're trusting God with your marriage, with your family, with your kids? How do you know that you're putting faith into action by trusting, by hoping, by persevering? Well, the answer is really pretty simple. It's all wrapped around prayer. How much do you pray? If you pray a lot for your family, then guess what? You're trusting God a lot for your family. If you pray just a little for your family, then you're just trusting God a little for your family. If you don't pray for your family at all, you're not trusting God for your family at all. Take a look at Proverbs 28 too. Lord, help my prayer, or Lord, hear my prayer for mercy when I call to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your most holy place. Today, we're gonna hear from four ladies who have four different stories about these four different points. So let's give them a big round as they come up here, okay? Don't they look beautiful? Let's give them another round. <laughs> now, they are as nervous as cat on a hot tin roof. You know what I'm talking about? So, um, so let's get started. First introductions, and Andrea, we'll start with you, and we'll just go all the way down to Kathleen. So go for it, Andrea. My name is Andrea, and uh, I moved to Plano from San Antonio last August. Um, I have my husband and we have three kids, two girls, a six-year-old and a three-year-old and a little boy. He's a year and a half. Um, I actually first found LifePoint through the MOPS group. Um, I started there. I found the um, Facebook and then I was like, let's give the church a shot. And I've been here ever since. Woo Go MOPS. <laughs> okay. Um, oh. Sorry. Go. <laughs> um, a little bit about my upbringing. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a non-denominational Christian church my whole life. My parents off and on in ministry um, with a mom and a dad and a twin sister and an older sister. Mm, very good. Jenny. I'm Jenny, and I am the MOPS coordinator here at LifePoint Church. Uh, we, my family has been coming here for six years now. And growing up, I was an only child, and my parents got divorced when I was six. Um, from then on, I saw my dad on major holidays, and so I was alone a lot. And a lot of it was out of necessity, and a lot of it was not out of necessity. And so I grew up with some um, abandonment issues and seeking male attention. And so fast forward to now, uh, my husband and I have been married for 12 years, and we have three wonderful children. Mm -hmm. I'm Pauline Johnson, and you can tell that I do not have young children. <laughs> I'm one of the mentor moms in MOPS. What a blessing that has been. 
And um, I grew up in a family of four. My dad was uh, full-blood Italian. My mom was full-blood country. And um, we lived in a two-bedroom house with one bathroom, and that house was full all the time because we had all the families over, the Italian folks over. I learned to play poker by the time I was five. Because we had a poker game there every week. I learned what Pat's Blue Ribbon was. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents truly, um, they were so kind, so generous, so hospitable. And they showed me that. And from a very early age, I knew I wanted to be a nurse because we went to visit the sick all the time. Uh, I have been married for 52 years to Charlie. And Charlie, stand up. Where you at, Charlie? Stand up, Charlie. Right? Oh, he's right there. Stand up, Charlie. Look at that. That is awesome. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. I met Charlie um, the first week I was in college. I was a freshman, and we were in the book line, and he was a senior. And he caught my eye because he was a baseball jock and he looked good. <laughs> so I made it my mission. I was going to hook this guy, and I did. And thank God we, well, we have got four children and 11 grandchildren, and they're a bunch. They're pretty much all here, right there in the front. That's so good. glad you guys could come. Yeah. They are the biggest blessing of my life, mainly because I was told I could never have children. Yeah. So what a great, a great blessing. Charlie and I have been at LifePoint now since 2010. So we love it here and we love you, George. Love you. <laughs> Kathleen? My name is Kathleen. Um, I was raised by my mom and my grandma. My dad was not involved in our lives um, during our childhood years. I did have a stepdad. Um, my mom and him were married for a short time, but he did continue that father role with us, and um, we did visitations, all that with him. Um, he loved us unconditionally, even though we weren't his. Um, my mom does suffer from bipolar depression and anxiety, so that just shows how strong of a woman she is, that she was able to raise the four of us alone with my grandma. Um, I am married to my husband, Jason. We have two boys. Uh, Ethan is 18, Lucas is seven. And I actually had Ethan when I was 20, so I was a single mom for a while. Mm. I did pray that uh, God would bring somebody that would not only love me, but love my child like um, their own, like I had with my stepdad. Yep. Um, and he did. I met Jason when um, Ethan was one. He has adopted him, and then we had Lucas. And yeah. we have been at LifePoint for a little over 10 years. Four different great women. <clears throat> and four different stories. And I want to start with the Italian first, okay? <laughs> because this is all about, you know, irritations. I'm not saying Italians are this way, but, you know, irritations, offenses, and, and just, you know, showing that mercy. And, and Pauline, can you share a story with us and yeah. how that impact, your family impacted you and it's impacted your kids? Okay. Well, I grew up um, in, a, in a time where... Uh, Discipline was important in my family, and my, my family, though, my mom and dad were very kind, very courteous to everyone, including us. Uh, I can remember uh, my mom, my mother would always tell us if we, you know, if we had an irritation with someone else, or we irritated them, probably, because I did, I whistled all the time. That yeah. was the biggest <coughs> irritation. 
I still do it. Charlie will tell you he knows where I am at all times in the house because I whistle all the time. But, um, so, but they demanded that we obey them, that uh, we respect them. We, were, um, we said yes ma'am and no ma'am. Of course, I went to Catholic school, and so we were disciplined there too. But I, I learned how to love from my parents. And Charlie and I grew up differently. We, um, we, my family, we hugged, we kissed, we sat, you know, we were going to the grocery store. I think I did that with my kids too. So, but we, we grew up differently. And his family didn't do that as much. But by the time I was in the family for about a week, they did. So, <laughs> so um, but, you know, really, our, um, our kids are all in their, in their 40s now, all, all of them. And uh, they've pretty much come to realize that their mom and dad is wise. I think one of the things that, that I did as a mother that really helped me and helped them was that if they did something that was very irritating uh, or, or, you know, offensive or whatever, I openly said to them, you know what, I don't like you right now. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't like you right now, but I love you. And I'll, you'll never be able to do anything that I wouldn't love you. And I hope that they do that with their children. I know yeah. they do because they've raised great kids. Yeah. But that was, a, that was something that really, I think, meant a lot to me to be able to tell them that openly. I was always honest with the kids. And also, um, if I offended them, if I spanked them when they didn't really need it, if I found out one of them had taken a, you know, a spanking for someone else, I apologized to them. And a lot of times we would cry together because I was as hurt as they were. Yeah. So, so those were some of the things that That's we great. did. But um, the other <clears throat> thing that as our kids got older and after they got married and they, they're all married to wonderful spouses, the kids have all grown up so great. But we tried to tell them to be role models, to be good role models for your children because I think you'll agree that children are kind of like dry sponges they soak up everything they see, everything they hear, every word that comes out of our mouths, our kids hear it. And if those aren't good words or if we're not being kind or whatever, they think, well, if mom and dad do that, it's okay for me to do it. So I tried to tell our children when they were young to, uh, to prepare them for when they were older and got married. I can remember telling my son our only boy, telling him, Brandon, uh, you need to remember, sweetheart, you're going to be married one day. You need to be kind to your wife. You need So get in here and learn how to cook. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. That's, they all did. That's he, great. He cooks better than, than all of us, I think. So, but we, um, we had rules, and I just want to tell you this one quick story about one of the rules that we had with the kids. Um, we, had, we had curfews. So as they got older, we had a curfew, and they didn't like it. They griped, they complained, they told us they were old enough to stay out as long as they wanted. They would push the envelope to the last minute, and their daddy would be standing at the back door <laughs> to open the door. But they had curfews, and so 
one of the greatest blessings I can remember is um, when Shannon, our oldest daughter, uh, left to go to college at Texas A&M. We lived in Louisiana, so it was a pretty good drive for her. And um, she called us one night out of the blue, and you could tell she was very emotional, and she said, Mama, I just want to thank you and Daddy for always making us have a curfew. Thank you for always knowing who I was with, for being interested in us, for being present, for, for just taking a part of our lives. And she told me that because she was seeing kids whose parents had not taken a part of their lives. Most of those kids ended up coming home with her on the weekends and Brandon's friends ate us out of house and home just about. <laughs> but um, Shannon uh, was home for Easter that year, that fr freshman year, and she got a phone call right before she left to go back to A&M, it was her roommate. And she said, Shannon, when are you gonna be back? And Shannon said, you know, it takes me, what, four or five hours to get back there. When she got back to her room, her roommate had taken an overdose and she was unconscious. Mm -hmm. And she had to deal with that at her sweet little young age. But she was mature enough to realize the difference between the way she was raised and the way this precious other child was raised was that her parents just weren't involved as much and didn't love her. I, I don't want to say didn't love that child, but they didn't show their love and kindness to them like Charlie and I did. Great. Let's jump to kindness, okay? <clears throat> Andrea, you got a great upbringing. <clears throat> Talk with us about kindness and how you've kind of transported that value into your kids. Uh, so I would say the first time um, that that really imprinted on my life at a young age was um, our church was part of an under the bridge ministry. Um, and this was before it was a, like a national ministry. They just was six families came together and mm. the Lord's calling us to reach the unreachable. So we were along for the ride. And um, that was extremely shocking at first, that whole side of reality that we were too young to understand. But um, so we were part of Under the Bridge for about three years, and we just set up shop every Sunday, play guitar, a small stage, provide a hot meal, um, clothes and shoes. Um, and it was the first time that I saw probably kindness and the love of Jesus shown to people that were seriously low in spirit, people that had all sorts of addictions and mental illnesses that were not on their medication, and a lot of those people had lost their children and... Um, so that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I gained from that experience, along with many other lessons, was that I, at a very young age, saw the true value of a life. Yeah. And that no matter what you've done or where you're at in your life right now or what choices you've made, every single person is worthy of love and kindness. That's great. And how have you instilled this value from really your folks in, in, into your kids. Well, I'm very passionate about carrying on that legacy that my parents have to my children. Mine are really young still, so um, it starts at home. Um, I think that their first lessons of love and kindness start with the way that they see me treat them and how I treat myself. Yourself, yeah. So, um, you know, really looking at my husband and I's relationship and how do we show love and kindness and patience and, and being courteous and then how do they treat their siblings and then my daughter who's in only in kinder, 
her experiences with other kids and kids that are mean and new students and really just being able to show love and kindness wherever she's at, helping her understand that it may not be ever reciprocated, but this is our job and our duty to do so. Um, And really, we're also very passionate about showing um, appreciation and gratitude and showing love and kindness in that way and being creative and doing those things, even when you're six. Great. Sowing seeds now for future. Absolutely. So, you know, I think the long-term goal is that for me, um, I aspire to do great things with my children, um, but I want to teach them and lead them to being able to anticipate a need, being able to spot a need and for it to become second nature, to be able to um, see their excess and give to someone's lack or see a blessing and give gratitude or advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves and um, and sowing those seeds right now at home and in all the little moments that we have in hopes that they will grow up to be people that are the hands and feet of Jesus. That's good. Let's jump to grudges, okay? Jenny. So as I shared earlier, uh, I was left alone a lot. And a specific example of that is I can remember being 16 and left alone for the weekend with a car, the house to myself, and some freedoms to make some really bad decisions. Um, But the thing that's really burned into my mind is just the yearning for my mom's attention. And so I would start by, hey, mom, can we hang out? Let's spend more time with each other. When that didn't work, um, I would act out because... As we all know, at least bad attention is attention. And when that didn't work, I would build up walls and um, to just as a coping mechanism to kind of deal with that pain of rejection. There is a song um, called Reckless Love, and the verses in it, it, they get me every time. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. And it gets to me every time because that's really all I ever wanted growing up. I just wanted someone to value me and fight for me. And while I didn't find that growing up, I did find that when I was saved and through as I mature in my relationship with Jesus. I find that even when I was his foe, he still pursued me and still loves me. And now today when I stray from the path that he has for me, he's still pursuing me and forgives me and brings me back. I don't have to beg for his attention. I don't have to work for it. Um, So that has softened my heart towards my mom and let me see that we're all broken. We all need forgiveness. And I truly do believe that my mom did the best that she could with what she had. Um, So uh, I'm not one to sugarcoat things. And so obviously my mom and I's relationship still has a lot of work to do. There's some really deep hurts, but um, we're called to forgive others, not because they deserve it, but because God first forgave us. So how you... Do, how are you transferring this value into your kids? Uh, our oldest is in first grade, and so she came home um, pretty upset <clears throat> one day after a snack and some rest. I asked her some questions about it and come to find out it was just a kid who was being mean and having a bad day, and he called her weird and in the big scheme of things, not that big of a deal, but to her, it really hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about how we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with this kid. We don't know if he or she had a bad morning. And so kind of bringing the whole picture into her mind that even though she was the target of that meanness, it really has nothing to do with her. Um, and also talking about, hey, when you're upset with your brother and sister, are you kind? No, you start fights and 
mom and dad have to get involved. So um, the whole aspect of hurt people hurt people. Um, and then we challenge them to, uh, you know, try to be kind because, yeah, you can laugh. It's really easy to be mean back, but to challenge yourself to spread kindness because that's what God calls us to do. Let's jump to believe in the best, especially around prayer. Okay, yes. Kathleen? So prayer has been um, just such an important part of my life as a mom. Um, Ethan is a great kid. He's been serving with me since he was eight years old in um, LPK. He um, just is, he loves people. He's very relational. You make eye contact with him and he'll give you a hug. Um, but even him had a really rough time a couple years ago. It was about a year um, or so, and he made wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. He had outside influencers that really um, egged those choices on. Um, so I pray. I called in reinforcements, and Jenny was one of them, my little small circle um, of people, and we prayed for him. Um, the most consistent prayer that we did was um, protection. Protection that all the mistakes he's making at this time, he would learn from and grow from, but they would not be everlasting mistakes that would last his lifetime. Um, Lucas has ADHD and some anxiety issues, so we pray constantly for that. Um, I encourage him daily that ADHD does not define him. That's it is right. not who he is, it's it just something that he has. Um, we pray every day on the way to school. So he gets to hear me in my prayers, thanking God that I'm the lucky one that gets to be his mom, that Lucas is wonderfully made, um, and that he remembers when he has those anxiety issues that God is with him wherever he goes, that he is not alone. Um, pray that all the tools that we have blessed with given him through you know, the school and everything, that those will work. But most importantly, that when he has bad days, and that's just his reality, he's going to have bad days, is that he's patient with himself. Great. These are our mops moms. So <clears throat> let's give it up for them, and I want to honor them. <clears throat> and Jenny, say something about mops. Oh, man. No pressure. Uh, so I think parenthood, motherhood is one of the hardest jobs you can do. And don't feel like you have to do it alone. Make sure you have that tribe or that small circle of people. And if you don't have one, that's what MOPS is all about. And um, I know MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschools, but ours is technically MOPS and Beyond because uh, it's all walks of life. If you're having your pre first pregnancy to an empty nester, please come join us because we need you. That's right. Let's give it up for them, okay? Woohoo! Thank you, ladies. Four different women, four different families, four different stories. The common thread is love. Love in action by being merciful. Believe in the best. Forgiving. Showing kindness. <clears throat> Asking questions when you're irritable to yourself. Great examples of ways to love our families. I don't know where you're at, but I know the answer is this, that you and I need to practice, put into practice mercy, love in action. Let's pray. <clears throat>
Lord, I just really thank you for your goodness towards us. That when we in our own hearts and minds were going astray, doing our own thing, that you continued to show mercy towards us. Not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what we didn't deserve. Mercy. And we praise you for it. We thank you for the love that you have shown us through those who have gone before us. Whether it's a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa or aunt and uncle. Whether it's a brother or sister, God. You, through them, expressed your love and your kindness, your mercy towards us. And we just want to be grateful for them. We want to thank you, God, right now for the moms. We want to celebrate womanhood, God. You are a great God, and you have created some great ladies. And we praise you for that. So on this day, may we keep in mind that Mother's Day is all day. And really, it's all year too. So we give you this in your son's name, amen.